Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, we're going to talk about uh, all the transfers, what it means for Florida, how Mike White can use this opportunity to shape the roster the way he wants uh, next year, obviously with a second consecutive uh, big recruiting class coming in. And uh, we'll get into all of it. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, joins me. Uh, It's a long show. But we wanted to be as thorough as possible and, and talk about some of Florida's uh, targets and options. So enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Um, Eric and I both, if, if you're a first time listener, you know, we both follow Florida basketball pretty closely. Obviously we have a podcast about it. We also both coach, uh, high school basketball. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I'd like to think that we, we have some, some insight to offer. We also have like, as the season has gone on, have, have gotten, because Eric writes at Gator country and, and because I write for Saturday down South, you know, we have occasionally insider stuff that we get to share with you. So we're really glad that you're uh, joining us. And today's show was originally going to be sort of a breakdown of, of either the front court or the back court and like summarizing, you know, the roster and their seasons individually. And instead not much has happened this week, huh, Eric? You know, I was really, I just wasn't sure if you're going to be able to have a, have an episode this week. Uh, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. I mean, we knew that, uh, we knew that those exit interviews were kind of uh, going to happen this week, but um, that doesn't always equate to um, players making their decision kind of right there and then whether they're going to move on. And, and that's just so happened to be the case. Um, and then obviously we get the, uh, get the, get the news this morning of a new Gator coming to the 2019 class. Um, I mean, I, I, we're probably not even going to get to this, but we got to get or we got to watch Trey Mann and, uh, and Scotty Lewis in the McDonald's All American game, which was great to see Gators in last night. And uh, yeah, I'm just like super glad that um, that people are uh, people are listening, um, that there's stuff to talk about um, already, and that uh, yeah, that uh, I, I'm just happy that everyone's here listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so the three guys uh, exit interview wise that leave the program are Keith Stone who is going to be a redshirt senior, uh, is on track to graduate in May. I was able to confirm that. Um, and, uh, you know, coming off an ACL injury, uh, Michael Okaru, who uh, was a three-star player that they brought in sort of after Shea Alexander, uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander flipped from Florida to Kentucky very late in the cycle. Um and they brought in Michael Okaru. He had a really good freshman season. We're going to talk about him a little more, but he's decided to leave. And finally, DeAndre Bauer, too, at least in some uh, in some services, right, Eric, was the top-rated player that Florida signed in, yeah. in the 2017 class, I guess it would have been. And, um, you know, a guy that drew comparisons to Sendarius Thornwell and Charles Matthews. Because uh, I was looking them up, I'm like who did he? Because White compared him to Sandarius Thornwell, Eric Bossy, who I think is pretty good at his job, compared him to Charles Matthews, uh, and Ballard leaves. We'll, we'll talk about each of those players individually, but I think the first key point is that to some extent, these this mass exodus is kind of modern college basketball. Like players transfer, 
with what you'd consider to be alarming frequency. I'm not saying that you can blame them um, in a world where you're not paid to play, uh, but I think it happens far more now than it did even 10 years ago. Fair? Oh, I mean, yeah, I think the numbers would back up what you just said, that it certainly happens more. And I, I mean, you look at it from, uh, from the perspective of, like, let's, let's first look at Keith Stone. I mean, he's got the opportunity to be a, a graduate transfer, which means he could go anywhere. Uh, not that I think he's going to have an offer from everywhere, but, um, but yeah, he's, he's going to have uh, his pick of a whole lot of programs in the country to play at. So you just look at the scenario for him and, and what's going on in Florida, and you just say, um, with his opportunity to literally transfer to hypothetically anywhere in the country he wants, um, would Florida be the best, uh, the best fit for him? And, and you know what? I, I just think that he probably decided it wasn't, and I think that's probably a, a fair assessment for him. So with the world of college basketball uh, available to him, uh, he decided to, uh, to try his luck somewhere else, and I, and I understand it. And uh, I just think um, it, it's, it's good for players to be able to, to, be able to transfer and, and to kind of change their mind because, I mean, you, you think about when these, when these players come in, not even Keith Stone, uh, who obviously committed to Billy Donovan first, um, but let's look even at Okaru and and Ballard. Uh, Florida looks a whole lot different than it did on the dates that these guys committed. Um, the roster is different. Um, just uh, just things are. It's a different world, really, than than you know when they committed and, and things change and they change quickly in college basketball. And um, for that reason, the transfer rule exists. So uh, I, I don't see it as concerning that these that there's this kind of a mass exodus of players. Because um, I really do think it's um, kind of the best decision for the individual player themselves, as well as the team. I, I think that um, it's kind of these were th- these changes are, are just best for for both sides, and for that reason, I, I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, look, there's two ways to view it. One is everybody panic, everyone's leaving. Florida's gonna have to play, you know, a dentist and a walk on. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> the Gators had a dentist place kicker under McElwain, so. Uh, the de- the dentist reference there. You have to let Eric know on the football references. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, so panic, I guess, would be be one, and then opportunity is kind of the other. And and I say opportunity because not just because it's a great chance for for those players to move on and find a situation that works better for them, but also, you know, for Florida, they get a chance to. And and I'm going to separate Keith Stone from this. And again, we'll talk about every single one of the players. Um, individually briefly um, but separating Keith Stone from the other three guys because you have to include Chase Johnson in this when you talk about open scholarships really Florida's processing three players that weren't improving the program much um, yeah and, and I hate to be I hate to be that blunt about it um, and like I said I think it's great for those guys that all three of them are going to get a chance to play somewhere uh at a probably a good division one program, whether it, it's a mid-major program like Dayton where Chase Johnson's going to be uh, that, that actually has a chance to be really good next season. Um, or, you know, what happens with stone Ballard and Okaru. And, and again, we'll talk about them, but, but for Florida, you really lost one guy that, that contributed, you know, significantly to the program in the end. Yeah. That the, you mentioned, as you mentioned, Keith stone, I think was probably the, the one that's, um, I don't know if hurts is the right word most, but, but yeah, just the fact of the matter was the guy that played the most minutes for Florida uh, when he was healthy. And obviously in a position where um, if, if you call Keontae Johnson a power forward, 
Um, the only other really kind of power forward on the roster was Keith Stone with um, with Chase Johnson, of course, leaving leaving earlier. But um, yeah, just uh, just once again, like like Neil mentioned, I mean, there's just chances for for these guys to to play at levels that probably are are a little more conducive to to what they need to do. And again, we'll talk about each of these players a little more uh, later in the podcast. But I, I just think like like DeAndre Ballard, I think could use a redshirt year more than anyone I think I've seen in the country this year. So so that just um, the, the mix of just, um, hey, if he's going to use a redshirt year, um, finding a home that kind of probably fits him better is wise. And, and um, yeah, you just um, – you look at Okaru and, and his minute situation and uh, you look at uh, what it was this year and then you look at uh, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann coming into town and you probably just don't think that, that kind of um, – that situation is going to get any better. And uh, we're, we're recording on Thursday morning and um, – Mike White just had his press conference and he said that was kind of just one of the things that he laid out at the exit interviews was, um, was that uh, he just kind of laid out, Hey, this is what I think your future is. Um, this in terms of minutes and role and everything. And, and all the players that ended up leaving just weren't happy with what that future kind of held. And uh, I think that not that I know exactly what, um, what Mike White said, but I think, you know, I've got my own ideas of, of what that would be. And, um, yeah, just once again, I, I do think it's the best for both uh, both parties here. Yeah, look, um, it, it, it's definitely a chance to reshape things. And um, I think, you know, a positive one. And I wanted to point out not an unprecedented one either. And this was a good tweet from Thomas Goldcamp, who covers uh, Florida, the Gators for 24-7 sports. And he just pointed out that, that uh, Donovan had four or five signees in his – very illustrious 2008 class transfer two in 2009 two in 2010 and that came right before the 2010 class came in and that 2010 class of course formed the core of a team that that eventually uh won 30 straight games and reached the final four when they were seniors and went to four elite eights along the way so the point being you know this has happened in Gainesville before not just it's not just something that's happening all over college basketball. Uh, and it's happened in Gainesville on the heels or just before or just after Florida has brought in a really big recruiting class. So Florida's looking at a second straight class, really actually a third straight class in the top 20, but one that really produced and one that's now down to Isaiah Stokes. Uh, and, and so it can work. And I think that that's kind of an important thing to, to frame that conversation with, especially because, um, you know, like we said, I mean, these are just the way that it worked out that that big top 20 class didn't really produce. And some of that, um, you know, starts and it starts with, with Michael Okaru, who I think was a flyer, uh, for Florida. Like we talked about with Shay Alexander. Um, and you know, it just didn't, he just wasn't the same player this year. Some of it maybe because his jump shot wasn't going in, but you know, I don't know. I, I thought some, to some extent his defense dropped off. Let's, let's talk, let's just start with him, Eric. Well, this, and this is not, um, you know, I don't want to kick a guy on his way out or no, I no, also no, no. rub myself on the back. But um, before this season, um, I, I did my player kind of previews for every single player on the roster. And when I looked at Okaru's um, shooting numbers from last year, um, and just watching the film of his jump shot, I just thought there is no way he shoots the ball well again. Like I, unless he just somehow magically changed his shot in the summer before this season, 
I just was totally convinced that he was not going to shoot the ball well anymore. And that was like the one thing I wrote in any player. And actually, no, it was the second one because people also really defended Ballard. But um, saying Okaru was not going to shoot well, that was the only, that was one of the only things that like the Gator country readers really like, no, you're wrong. Like this is, uh, he has a lot of fans, but just the shot didn't fall. And I, I don't think he had a stroke that was kind of consistent and, and true enough to kind of keep up. And uh, the one thing that I think just really hurt Okaru was the fact that he was not a true point guard. And um, maybe that's a problem with uh, the way that Florida evaluated him. But you look at Okaru and he just wasn't a point guard, couldn't handle the ball well enough. Um, but he also couldn't shoot the ball um, or create a ton offensively. So um, you got this guard who doesn't really handle the ball. And though he defends pretty well, um, and like Neil said, maybe that defense dropped off a little bit. I certainly think it did. Um, maybe because his minutes were kind of lessened and he got out of that rhythm, but his defense just was not as good this year. Um, so, so I just don't know where you kind of have a role for that. And I think that's kind of the big thing with, with him is just um, what, what is he? Is Because he's not a backup point guard and he's not really a shooting guard. And uh, that just kind of makes it tough to find a role for him. So um, I would say that, uh, yeah, those are kind of all the things that just kind of contributed to uh, uh, what for him was probably a very disappointing uh, sophomore season. Yeah, and look, uh, Mike. Mike's a smart guy, uh, a really good student, um, and and you know a lot of, and, you know I don't think a lot of people would say say anything uh, negative about him as a person. And I think uh, certainly a guy that you know you can see flashes of how he can sort of use his size to get in the paint, and um, you know a guy that that will really will maybe benefit from from a red shirt year where he can work on on his shot a little bit and uh, kind of emerge somewhere, probably I think a, a mid-major player and be a really productive one. Um, the The second guy uh, from the same class is DeAndre Ballard. And we talked about some of the comparisons that he had. His offer list we've said on this podcast was weird. Uh, he had some really good offers and then there was like, but there weren't a lot of them. And then there were a ton of mid-major offers, which is strange for a guy who was slotted as high as the top 50 for in some rankings and, uh, you know, pretty much a consensus top, what, 125 player. Um, you know, so I think, I think when you look at Ballard, uh, a guy that had broken, uh, Dwight Howard's Atlanta's prep scoring record, uh, you kind of thought you were really going to have a guy that could get in the lane and fill it up. And instead, at least my view of him at Florida was great effort guy, lots of motor, totally willing to do whatever it takes to help the team, except offensively, he just seemed like the guy who would hunt the least efficient jump shot on the floor. Yeah, I just feel like he's a guy who just made basketball so much harder than he needed to. Um, just by, like you said, hunting the least efficient shots, not recognizing what a good shot is. Um, he just made the game so tough on himself. And, and I, I do think that that's, um, yeah, that, that probably just made the, the raw talent he has. Uh, it, it, it just made it unable to shine through. And just, uh, he's a guy who I think just needs to watch a whole lot of film and just, and just, I don't, I, I feel, I feel bad commenting on a guy's basketball IQ because I feel like it's insulting, but I just, again, I just don't think he saw the game in a way that, that made it particularly easy for himself. And that just led to a lot of long pull-up mid-range jump shots um, with the defender in his face. And that's, uh, that's a tough way to live and <laughs> on the offensive end. 
And uh, uh, though he started the season against the mid-major teams hitting those shots, um, those are going to kind of come down to earth. Um, that's just kind of something we've seen. If a player is getting a lot of his offense from tough mid-range shots, um, it's probably going to not – it's not going to be a long-term kind of solution. Let's look at Jalen Hudson, who's kind of the same way. And I think that, um, yeah, he's someone who is, who's just very much going to benefit from redshirt year. I think wherever he goes, um, uh, again, like, uh, just like Neil mentioned against Okaru that, uh, that he just is kind of known as a, as a great guy. That's, every, that's everything everyone says about Ballard too. Uh, really good guy. His effort was obviously never questioned as well, just like Neil said. And uh, I really uh, – he, he's the one who I'm most interested maybe about where he could transfer to um, because he's a guy that I could see um, putting things together and just being an elite scorer at like a mid-major level. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, he's also a guy that if he doesn't, uh, doesn't figure out where to get good shots on the floor, um, could kind of continue to struggle. But I, I definitely wish him the best. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you're going to see a guy play tonight in the Sweet 16, Brandon Francis, who – um, left Florida and probably is not as top in talented as DeAndre Ballard and has really been a good player at Texas Tech. So, um, you know, just in terms of, yeah, I mean, I think watching film and just understanding who he is as a basketball player. We talked about it on one of the very first, Florida basketball hour shows with, with Jake Winderman actually. And we said, you know, if there's a guy on Florida who doesn't quite understand what his game is yet, it's probably Deandre. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch him moving forward, especially, you know, what he becomes after a red shirt year, because in terms of, you know, physical physicality and his body as a big guard, um, he could be really be a good player. And I also think to add to Eric's point, there's something to be said for, for what he'll be by watching him play mid-majors and how he can really fill up the, the scoring right. sheet against those opponents because um, they're just not equipped to deal with someone like him as, as well. So it'll be fascinating. I think he took a little longer to announce. Um, and, you know, like I said, we occasionally get some insider heat. and I'm, I'm told that uh, it, was, it was hard for DeAndre that, that it wasn't easy for him to decide and that he was really torn about what to do. Um, so a reminder that when you go in the portal, you don't have to leave, by the way. This is kind of an important thing. Uh, but, you know, that's where you have to watch for a scholarship number. And I do expect DeAndre Ballard and all these guys to leave. And that gets us to the final guy, which is Keith Stone. Um, look, I think this was – Eric – kind of already nailed it. I, I just think it was mutual. Um, I think Florida's staff didn't want to get in a situation where they were burned again by a ACL recovery. Uh, just math says he probably wouldn't have been able to play until late December, January. And I think he thought, you know, rather than try to fight for minutes on a really talented roster, maybe I can go somewhere where, I can get in in December and January and not have to worry about it. Uh, I, you know, I'm told FAU is the likely destination. That makes a ton of sense. He's from 20 minutes away from their campus, and Dusty May is there. Hey, that'd be a good landing spot for him. And, uh, yeah, he's a guy that, um, uh, once again, I mean, he's everyone that he kind of committed with is now graduated. So it's not like uh, – I mean, I'm not sure he's friends with other people on the team, of course. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, those things do change. And, um 
uh, yeah, just uh, another guy who I just feel like never could fully put everything together just because, I mean, Keystone's got, had a great looking jump shot and I, I really believe in it. I know it wasn't great this year before he got injured. And I think he was battling an ankle injury all year, like even before he had the knee injury and that didn't help things. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, be, but other than that, his offensive game was really, really, really limited. And it wasn't actually as limited as I thought it was until I was doing my, uh, once again, before last season, doing my, um, doing kind of my previews for every single player. And uh, when I started to look at kind of a bunch of the analytics and stuff and watching film of stone, I actually realized that his game was a lot more limited than I kind of expected as a guy that I was actually like, Oh yeah, like Keith stone. Um, he's pretty skilled. He can kind of catch the ball in a high post and, and make a dribble or two. And, um, but I, I don't know. That was just in my mind's eye because when I was looking at, um, the analytics and watching some of the film that actually wasn't really the case. So uh, I, I actually was kind of a, I was a fan of his defensive game. I know not everyone was, but I, I thought he was a pretty good defender. Um, but, uh, but yeah, once again, a, a guy who was um, pretty limited to just a jump shooter offensively, a catch and shoot jump shooter, and uh, his shots weren't falling this year. And uh, once again, to kind of uh, like Neil mentioned to come off an ACL injury and try to claw minutes away from, uh, from Keontae Johnson uh, that'll be tough next year. And uh, even uh, there's, you know, maybe there's a grad transfer. Maybe they try to play a little bit bigger. Um, we did see Dante Bassett at the four a little bit next to Hayes this year. And maybe they try to play a little bigger. Um, there's not, there was not a clear path to Keith Stone um, getting, a, getting a, a big role back with this team. And uh, once again, with the ability to graduate transfer and be instantly eligible, um, that puts a whole lot of situations on the table. And uh, when you see all those potential situations, uh, I just don't think Florida was the best for him. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida ends the year with with Draft Express rating their best prospect as Kevarius Hayes. Um, <laughs> they started the year with people saying Stone's a guy who could shoot all the way into the second round um, and was like a lock to be a really effective European pro or have a chance to be um, as a pick-and-pop guy because that jump shot is really pretty and because – Unlike, say, a DeAndre Ballard, Keith Stone's, you know, uh, percentages and, and metrics supported the idea that Keith was about the same player, whether you're playing a mid-major or an SEC opponent. Like, a jump shot is a jump shot, right? Um, yeah. And and then, Eric, to Eric's point, uh, Three Man Weaves, another um, good basketball website, and then the Ringers SEC preview. Uh, both identified, you know, Stone as kind of a plus defender that doesn't really get credit for it because he's odd because he doesn't have that first step as a driver, right? But his feet are pretty good defensively. Um, and then there's this kind of idea that he's not a really, you know, a, a high-quality defensive rebounder, which is true, but he's not a bad offensive. So, I mean, there's, like, things that he does that I think um, were, were a little bit underappreciated. And, you know, I'm sure – he'd like to go somewhere where when he's ready to go, he can get 20, 30 minutes of run out so that, you know, he can have a shot to play in Europe or, or the D league if that's what he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, if, if he was healthy this year and, uh, and let's say that Florida's um, let's say Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson have the year that we kind of um, most of us anticipated going into the season. Um, I bet Keith Stone is just a, a perfect fit with his shooting ability and just um, his willingness to defend. And uh, I, I think when he was on the floor, he was not, uh, again, as a guy who doesn't have a lot of uh, individual creation ability offensively, uh, this wasn't the best fit for him when he was healthy, just because um, the offense around him wasn't really humming. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, he, he's a guy that I, I, yeah, once again, I wish the best for all these guys. Um, but for Keith Stone, um, especially coming off an injury, which I mean, I just really, really feel for guys that, that get an injury that bad, especially at this point um, in his career. Uh, but yeah, I'll be cheering him on wherever he goes. And, um, you know, try not to be too biased on these things, but I think if he went to uh, Florida Atlantic, that'd be pretty awesome. I'd love to see him back with, uh, uh, with Dusty May. And uh, yeah, maybe you can uh, then go see him meal because he won't be too, uh, too far from your neck of the woods. Yeah, no, I would definitely <laughs> go. And I should have gone to see FAU this year. Um, so it's so close to where I live. So <laughs> really no excuse. Sorry, coach May. I know coach May tunes in every now and then um, <laughs> I'll be out soon. I promise coach. Uh yeah, I mean, look, uh, Keith. Keith was the team's second leading scorer uh, in last February and last March. So you know he can get baskets, and um, I, I certainly do uh, do wish him the best. And I think, you know, there was some other point I wanted to make about Stone, but but I've kind of <laughs> I've kind of forgotten exactly what it was. So uh, we'll just move on to the there fact that Florida Florida has four open. Um, scholarships now, um, but now they don't. Uh, they have three because uh, this morning Florida received a commitment from uh, a center, didn't they, Eric? They did. Uh, yeah, Jason Jatobo, uh, depending on your pronunciation, I've seen a few different ones, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's a yeah, 6'10, 270, a uh, big man. Um, I actually didn't think Florida was in a great spot throughout his recruitment, it seemed. Um, earlier in his recruitment, it seemed like Louisville seemed to be everyone's uh, choice for him to go. It seemed like Louisville definitely backed off w- along with a bunch of other schools um, when Jatobo got a foot injury. When he, he had a broken foot. Um, if you look at just basketball history on a whole, um, foot injuries to big men have been really devastating. Um, and uh, I definitely think that scared off, uh, scared off some people. Um, but uh, yeah, you, uh, you can't teach size. And I think that uh, I think that obviously the fact that he brings just kind of a physical element that Florida doesn't currently have on, on the team at, at 6'10 and, and 270, um, I think that makes him pretty intriguing as a bit of a prospect. And um, I think, too, just Florida's, uh, Florida's makeup is uh, uh, right now they've got Bassett and they've got Stokes and Gak is returning off an injury and, and Payne can play some center. And I think they're going to go after a graduate transfer center. And uh, I think it really shapes up for, for him to take a redshirt year which I think would be awesome for him to get healthy, um, get in the strength and conditioning program, get his skills up a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a pretty interesting, uh, interesting piece to add, especially this late in the cycle. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely pretty exciting to get another, uh, another big man in the program and, uh, and start to see how, uh, how all these open scholarships are going to be utilized. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple of thoughts on it just to add, and I agree with the things that Eric said, I think um, two important points here. One is that this is an Al Pinkins evaluation. Uh, and, you know, Al Pinkins nationally is recognized as a as an elite developer of big men. I think that's fair to say, and uh, is is really respected for his ability to evaluate them. And if you don't, uh, you know, buy that, I watch some Texas Tech film from the last couple of years and <laughs> look at what they can do inside. Um, players that that Pinkins evaluated and helped bring in um, both those seasons, whether different personnel but uh it's it's one example um so the fact that that pinkins you know wanted to power through when he had the foot injury uh and and go after him i think uh is instructive and then the other thing that i think is instructive is the fact that there were four open scholarships and i i don't want to diminish you know 
uh, Jatoba at, at all. Um, other than to say, I think the fact that suddenly Florida had four scholarships is why Florida was able to close this in the last week. Um, I imagine the last 72 hours were, were pretty telling on, on that front um, because you can kind of afford to do a guy who needs a year with Preston green to get his body right, to get healthy. Um, you can do that when, when you have four open scholarships because Florida can go and try to get a grad transfer, right? They can go and, and potentially sign a traditional transfer who, you know, even if you don't get a waiver, you still have two other spots where you can get guys that can play right away. And that flexibility, I think, um, makes this a worthwhile risk because as Eric tweeted, I think earlier, I mean, he certainly has a, Jatoba certainly has a big upside. Right. And um, uh, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see what Pingens does with him, quite frankly, because uh, uh, there, you know what, there's, there is a little bit of, I guess, concern just, just for um, the sake of like, Hey, it's tough for big men to compete in college basketball right now. Um, we saw Isaiah Stokes uh, really, really struggle to get on the floor this year because of his defense and he's got a lot of offensive upside, um, but just couldn't uh, couldn't figure it out enough to get on the floor a lot this year. And I mean, uh, Jacobo is kind of uh, kind of similar in the sense that he's yeah, he's kind of that big frame, and um, he's gonna have to learn to move his feet a little bit better and and just be uh, be a better rebounder than Stokes is for sure. Um, so yeah, there's there's some kind of things he's gonna have to figure out. But once again, he's got so many bodies ahead of him right now um, that he's I, I, I would I, I don't know. It, to me, it just seems like certain for a red shirt. I just think a lot would have to go wrong um, for him to, uh, to be pressed into service as a freshman, just with, uh, yeah. with that, with everything that's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, why not make a long-term play? I mean, I think that when you've got 13 scholarships in, in college basketball, um, you're just not really going to ever have that many guys in your rotation. And I think it's wise for Florida to, uh, to utilize these kind of red shirt years. And um, if you're going to use, utilize a red shirt year, I would say this is about a perfect, uh, a perfect way to use it, especially with a guy that, um, yeah, probably his recruiting rankings. Um, like, like, I mean, I know a lot of people say he's a four star. I mean, I, I really like the 24 seven composite who has him a three, like just generally speaking, they have him as a three star. Um, yeah. I think that I like 24 seven is, I think the best evaluator. Um, they have him as a three star. Um, so to me, he's a three star. I know ESPN has him as a four star, but um, the other things would lead me to believe he's he's a three star, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you also see his offers like Tennessee and um, and Louisville was in on him until he, uh, 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 you know, until the foot injury. So he obviously had had some great offers. So um, yeah, I just think um, yeah, if you're going to utilize um, uh, a bit of a project player like this, yeah, do it on someone who's uh, do it on someone who's six foot ten and uh, and see what you can build. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida has historically been a program that succeeds because they can get old and that's still a, a really effective formula in this sport. And I think you look at a guy like Jason Jatobo and you're probably saying, this is a guy that's around the program for four or five years. Um, and you know, if, if he's able to, to get healthy and get fit, uh, he will be, I think is, is the bottom line. And that helps your program, you know, there's really still not really much of a replacement for experience. If you don't believe me, you know, watch six of the eight guys that play for Florida State tonight. <laughs> um, well, I was, yeah, well, I was going to say even like let's look at the let's look at the bracket as as a whole outside of Duke. I mean, you've got um, you, yeah, like Gonzaga's old and Virginia's old, and uh, 
Michigan State. State. Yeah. So I guess LSU would be young as well, but um, yeah, Tennessee. So um, uh, yeah, I just think that it, unless you're unless you're like a Kentucky or a, or a Duke, um, being old is is the way to win. Look at Villanova. Um, Virginia's look at, old, look at, right? Look at look at Villanova over UNC. Yeah, um, I do think that um, it's older teams that uh, that take you deep. So I do think that's something that Florida needs to. Uh, uh, needs to get into a little bit, even though it's um, it's awesome that they're bringing in the five stars now. Um, just, uh, I mean, if, when you get a blend of a few upperclassmen and then that kind of one and done pop, uh, yeah, that's what wins you championships. So, um, yeah, I could see. Uh, let's look three or four or even five years down the road. Um, I could I could see Jatobo being you know the starting center on a team that's complemented by one or two uh, one or two five star kind of one and done talents and and then a few other seniors or veteran players, I should say. And uh, yeah, that formula works. So um, really interested to see what he does down the line. It's, it's kind of interesting because I, I really don't think we see him play this year. Um, and uh, But kind of tracking his progress um, through what I think will be redshirted will be pretty interesting because, uh, yeah, I just love seeing uh, seeing kind of how these players uh, develop. So that, that leaves three spots. And if we slot Jatobo into the Chase Johnson spot, right, basically Florida's replaced a frontcourt player with a frontcourt player. And they've replaced a front court player that didn't play with one that won't play. <laughs> um, and, and I think it's three for three, and that's fair because that I finally remember what I was going to say about Keystone to close him out was just, I think if Keystone had stayed healthy, he'd be gone anyway because um, he's older. And like Eric said, his classmates are leaving. And he was a fringe NBA prospect anyway who probably gets invited to a training camp probably gets invited to a G league certainly could play in Europe with his jump shot. So I don't think, you know, I didn't think Florida was ever going to have him <laughs> to be quite frank. Now I could be wrong, but I never thought he'd be a senior at Florida and he's not going to be, um, but that leaves three spots. I tweeted out that, that uh, I think that Florida will, will fill them with either two grad transfers and a traditional transfer or one grad transfer one traditional transfer and one freshman. Let's start with grad transfers. Um, we know for a fact, Florida basketball knows that, that Florida has contacted four, uh, Nate Cessna of Bucknell, Justin Pierce, who's a wing at William and Mary, uh, Sestina's, uh, a, um, what we call him, Eric, a power forward, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh you know what? I, I, I think he's playing the five. Wherever okay. He plays. Just because okay. I, just because I don't think he's, well, I mean, I don't think he's defending too many. Uh, well, actually, we could talk about that again. We could let's we can we're going to we're, we're going to get into him. Let's get talk, yeah, let's, let's get the we'll list out there. So, yeah. Shakar Shakar Justin from UNLV is a third one, and Kira Lewis from Alabama. So, those are the four we know Florida's had contact with, and we'll start with uh, Nate Sestina, who is visiting Kentucky Monday, um, and I think the Gators. It's safe for everyone to assume that Kentucky is the front runner. Um. But Florida is really pushing to get him on campus. Yeah, so uh, I, I was really impressed with how he played. I, I kind of knew how I knew him a little bit earlier because one of my favorite players in college basketball was uh, Kimball McKenzie, who's a Canadian, and he's a guard at Bucknell. So watching them, uh, obviously I got to see, like, oh, who's this uh, big man who's just, like, an incredible finisher on the inside. And uh, yesterday I, I just went in and kind of checked out a whole bunch of his um, – just a whole bunch of his film on Synergy – um, just a really, really good offensive player. Um, just really skilled finishing on the inside, um, both skilled and, and also powerful. Uh, something that really struck me was 
Um, something that Al Pinkins said when he first came to Florida and was working with the big men. Um, I remember one of the things he kept harping on was like, um, especially with Kavarius Hayes, but also with the other big men was just saying that like, guys, you need to keep two hands on the basketball um, as you go up, uh, like up until the point that you finish, you need to be two handed finishers, not one handed finishers. And uh, it kind of just struck me yesterday as I was watching uh, Sestina play that like, man, this guy's a two handed finisher. Like, <laughs> just could really, really protect the ball and take contact on his way up and, uh, and finish. And uh, also just such good footwork to get there. Could go over either shoulder. Um, he's a 38% three point shooter and watching his film. I mean, these were not like, like some, like, I mean, I, there's some big men in college basketball that um, have good three point numbers and they're kind of a bit inflated, I would say, because um, teams will play coverage where um, the big man will just totally drop and uh, the, the guard will go over the screen. They're essentially saying like they're, they're daring these, you know, kind of big men to shoot threes and that's kind of what they're going to give up. Um, that was not the case with Sestina. He is like catching and shooting. They would run him off screens, which was hilarious because he's like a pretty bulky dude. He's only like 6'8", 6'7", 6'8", but is like 245, 250. Um, but I mean, he was catching and shooting like a guard. He's got a quick, quick release. And um, offensively, um, just tremendous. And I do think that that would be, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that Kentucky is bringing him on campus and there's a reason Florida is interested and it's his offense. Um, not a good rim protector. Um, not explosive, um, can move his feet decently in defense. I, 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 his defense would worry me a little bit, but I mean, this is a guy who can, um, just really get buckets. And, uh, that is why he's an intriguing, intriguing grad transfer. Yeah, he is. Uh, Shakar Justin is the guy I wanted to talk about before I let Eric get into Justin Pierce. Um, and he is one of, one of the players from UNLV hint as to where we're going soon. Um, who Florida has contacted and is interested in. He's a wing, um, really more of a of like an undersized power forward that rebounds really well. Um, I'm not in love with this game. I watched a lot of video of him last night. Uh, I don't think he's very good offensively, and I think he turns the ball over too much, um, to be frank. Um, but but he did have, you know, over ten double doubles. So, uh, you know, he he gets fouled. Uh, and he's a decent free throw shooter. He, he's was 359th in the country in free throw rate, which is decent, I guess. Uh, at least he's in that rating. <laughs> um, but I don't think, uh, no, actually that's not accurate. That's not a, that's a different player. So he, yeah, he's not, he's not a, actually a plus player getting fouled and his offensive rating was the lowest on, on of the starting five on a on a pretty lousy team. So it looks like the Ken Palm numbers back up what I what I saw on film. Uh, what he does do is get after it on the glass. Um, and you know anybody that saw Florida struggle to rebound this year, um, probably that that could be a feeling to them. But I don't think you know of the four players that Florida's contacted. I think he's uh, far and away. Uh, I don't want to say the least good, but I'll say. The, the one that I think makes is the least complete. Yeah. I, I think that just kind of the fact that they contacted him shows um, something that, you know, you and me, Neil really believe in that's Florida needs wings. Um, yeah. And, and just the fact that, you know, like I, I don't think he's a great player, but like the fact that they're contacting him just shows that they know that wings are an important part about basketball and the roster is currently lacking them. So yeah, I'm not particularly intrigued by him. Um, I'm really not intrigued by either of the UNLV guys that they've contacted. 
Um, the other, Young's definitely, definitely more, and I think you could talk about him. But um, yeah, I, I just the the fact that like Neil said, he's just not a great offensive player on, and that was on a team a team that was not good offensively, and his numbers don't um, look that great. But it just shows that Florida knows that they need they need wings, and I think that that is uh, I, I'm kind of glad to see that they they kind of see that um, desperation. So the elite wing that that and I'm going to call him an elite wing just because I think the numbers actually back it up, and so does the contact list. Uh, is Justin Pierce or William Merrick? Yeah, I mean, definitely offensively, I'll, I'll say elite. And uh, just one thing that uh, that just struck me was just how how smart he is moving. Uh, um, he got so many buckets off back cuts, which I thought was um, pretty interesting, just considering that Florida is now running this kind of Princeton offense that yeah. has lots of back cut opportunities. And I just tweeted out like. I made a little video of like 15 of them and tweeted it out just because I just like loved watching Justin Pierce backhead guys for, um, for layups. Um, he, he also has a really nice looking jump shot. He only shot 32% this year from three. Um, but as a the year prior, he shot 41 per, or 41.6%. So um, I'm going to say his three point percentage is somewhere between 41.6 and 32.4. Um, though when you just watch his stroke, I mean, it, it, it looks really good. Um, I honestly think something might have been just broken too, though, because his uh, his free throw percentage also took a major dive this year, and he shot fifty nine percent from the free throw line, which is uh, you know not good for uh, for kind of a skilled player. Um, but yeah, he's a guy that I think is is really good offensively um, with his ability to shoot the ball and also just kind of score off cuts. Um, he's pretty slight framed, and I know you know the league he's playing in is, is not great, but he also just like got eight point nine rebounds per game, which I think is. Uh, show some kind of level of, of nose for the basketball. I, I don't think those numbers will uh, translate instantly to the SEC if he were to come to Florida. Um, but it does show that I think he's, um, you know, a willing rebounder, someone who kind of pays attention to that. And uh, I, I would put, I would put the Justin Pierce. Um, I, I would put, I would put him in the uh, quite intriguing category of someone I'd be quite interested in um, for Florida. The last guy is Kira Lewis from Alabama. Um, we talked about him on a prior podcast. I mean, he's, he's the kind of guy that, uh, I guess, well, we should stop there. We have, we talked about three grad transfers. So those are the three grad transfers. And I'm, I made a mistake and put Kira in that list. He's not a grad transfer. So the other group would be traditional transfers. And there's two players that Florida's contacted there. One is Kira Lewis, who everybody's going to want. And, and we'll start with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I truly think everyone is going to want him. Um, he's just the perfect kind of modern guard just with his ability to break down defenses off the dribble. And uh, that's something we've talked about on this show is the fact that he uh, that he's kind of the player archetype that Florida had trouble with, just these um, scoring point guards that can get theirs off the dribble. Um, Florida didn't have that this year. They haven't had it for a couple of years. And uh, I, I would be just be, I mean, I know he's going to be a tough guy to land just because so many people are going to want him, but I, I'm definitely glad Florida's getting in the mix. And um, just to have someone like that, who's just such a good individual, individual score. Um, I, and I mean, he did that as a freshman and I believe he's also really, really young for his age. I, I think he was a young freshman and um, yeah, 17. Yeah. He's 17 years old and was so good. So, I mean, I look at what he did as a 17 year old freshman and I think about what he would do after a, after a red shirt season. And I mean, like, I think he's going to be a monster. So, um, I mean, he's also probably like 160 pounds. This, I don't know. He's listed. At, <laughs> I mean, he was small, but I mean, he was, just, he was small, but he had 13.5 points on a, on a, you know, an Alabama team that wasn't great. He shot 35.8% from three, which is pretty good. Um, shot the free throw. Well, um, 
Yeah. So I, I just think he's got so much talent. So, I mean, for him to, for him to do what he did as a 17 year old, just thinking about him coming off when he has a red shirt year, um, I just think he's going to be a monster. So I, I think, I definitely think Florida should pursue him to the, um, you know, to the best of their ability, I guess. Like, I mean, I know it's going to be tough because he's going to have his pick of, uh, of pretty much anywhere. Um, I think he's from Alabama originally. So I don't think there's any like particular school that has a, a, a big advantage um, in this mix. I'm, I mean, unless he, um, unless he loves Nate Oates and decides to stay back, but um, <laughs> uh, with that hire, which is actually a really good hire, I think probably uh, something for another podcast, but, um, but yeah, uh, definitely uh, a player I would, I would definitely absolutely take if, uh, if you wanted to come to Gainesville. So uh, the last grad transfer of it, and I just I just made the list and did it wrong. So apologies to the listeners, but um, the last grad transfer, and this is one that Florida hasn't contacted, but but again, we do get occasionally get insider info, and a guy that's actually on Florida's board is is Rapalus Ivanaskis from Colgate. Um, there's really no word whether or not he's going to transfer, and I was told. Um, specifically that they're far more interested in him than, than Scotty James, who's a guy we talked about from Liberty. Um, and Ivanaskis, uh, you know, probably they're probably in a position to beat Tennessee, and then he goes out with pink eye or a contact lens or whatever the problem was. But uh, Colgate wasn't really the same uh, after him, and he's a guy that really intrigues me. Very intriguing. And that was a crazy story that is – contact situation kind of kept him out yeah. of the game. Um, I, yeah, you mentioned Scotty Lewis earlier, or Scotty Lewis, Scotty James. Um, I, I definitely felt a little bit hoodwinked um, watching his film. I was definitely pretty intrigued, but then watching him in the NCAA tournament when he um, what, wasn't able to get his shot off against anyone at the higher level. Um, I also really didn't like that he flopped a few times and got caught doing it. Um, didn't love that. So anyways, um, I think I'm off that train as many are, but um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, going back to, to our man from Colgate, I mean, uh, just a really smart basketball player. I, I actually find it just a shame that he um, was not able to kind of uh, uh, to play because of this like weird contact lens situation. And um, yeah, so actually they're, um, uh, yeah, so they're, they're uh, one of their assistant coaches has an analytics basketball podcast, um, which I really, really like. And that's kind of what got me into watching Colgate basketball this year. I would not profess to be a, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to really know that team that well. A Patriots if, fan? Uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely, which is also, um, and I mean, um, so this assistant coach is also related to the Klatsky family, so he uh, he knows all the rainy games, yeah. so he's familiar for those who know. But anyways. That's important, by the way. Keep that in mind as we wait for Ivanaskis to, to make his move. And, and, and one other point before Eric finishes is that Ivanaskis is really a power six player. He just left Northwestern because he wasn't happy there. Right. Yeah, totally. And um, so so he's a guy that's um, one just like at six foot ten or so, um, can just really shoot the basketball. Um, just a really good three-point shooter every time I've watched him. And also has really good hands on the inside. Uh, the way he could kind of finish on, on just kind of pick and rolls or dump off passes. Just um, has really, really good hands. So uh, I thought that's, a, that's something I really like. He's a good rebounder, it seems, by the numbers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just uh, I think that's um, – I, I see the kind of – a lot of the players Florida has kind of looked at have been a lot more um, – a lot more of the power front court players. And you even look at the guys on the roster um, just with like Stokes and now Jatobo and Gak and, uh, and Bassett, um, a lot more guys in the typical, just like strength, big man kind of uh, uh, kind of on that realm. And I think that, yeah, a guy who's a, who's more of a skill guy 
Um, like Vonevskis would be uh, would be really good. And also, I, I did watch them also earlier in the season against Syracuse, and he had 22 points against Syracuse. And uh, I thought that was, uh, or sorry, no, he didn't. Not against Syracuse. I was watching one of his last games when he was at when he was at Northwestern. Um, yeah, and also had uh, who is he playing? Who's I watching? But yeah, um, yeah, I, I just I'm a fan of his game from a skill standpoint, and um, I, I think that he's a guy that I'd be really interested in. So, and then the last guy we wanted to discuss in terms of uh, was back in traditional transfers, and this would be a sit one play two. The other player from UNLV, and and the one I'm told Florida is much higher on for what it's worth, um, especially Al Pinkins, is uh, Shekin Bakke de Jong, a six eleven center, um, and one of the you know the rare Florida basketball hour disagreements. Like my evaluation of him is better than Eric's. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see some of the some of the kind of like haste comparisons to me, just in the way that I when I was watching him offensively, just the way he would kind of like seal for position or, um, uh, or just kind of the way he like sets screens and just like his movements. I was like, wow, this looks a lot like haste to me. Um, I just think that he's not particular like like you see a guy like that who's like um, kind of long and, and has that build. I, I think if you watch that, you would, you would think he's – you kind of assume that he's a fairly athletic player. But when I watch him play, I don't actually find him that athletic or explosive, though he, like, gives the illusion of a player that would be. Um, but I, I, I do think that, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's kind of rebounded the basketball well. Um, actually has a really, really nice mid-range jump shot, which maybe would project after, um, after a redshirt year another summer to be a three-point shot. But even if he just has that mid-range jump shot, that would be a nice element offensively. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm like, I wouldn't, I'm not out on him. If, if Florida were to get him, I wouldn't be like, oh, why are they doing that? Why are they wasting his scholarship? <laughs> I, I see it. I just, um, uh, he's definitely not the, he's, yeah, I guess, I guess when you're kind of looking at the, at the transfer route, I probably am, am guilty of looking for a little bit too much like upside versus um, kind of safe projectable players. And I would say he is definitely a projectable player. I mean, if he comes in, um, uh, it comes into play. I mean, he's going to be a, a solid defender, a solid rebounder, and he's going to knock down a couple mid-range jump shots, and and they'll find minutes for in the rotation. I just don't see, um, like, like I don't see him as as uh, I'm like I'm not sure I see him as a starter ever. And, and even if they take him and he's never a starter, that could still be fine. Um, but yeah, you know, you better talk about why you're you're higher on him. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, actually I'm not totally sure he's ever a starter either. Um, I'm just high on on him as a basketball player. Uh, I actually think so when I did some research on him, you know, I probably skewed the way I view him by reading things instead of watching video first, which is a big no, no for me usually, by the way. Um, And, you know, their head coach got a lot of criticism for not playing him enough Um, that he, he played, he ended up playing 52% of minutes, but a lot of that came in February and March. Um, And, you know, I know with young players, sometimes you just make evaluations that they're growing up. But, I mean, he had, like, a five-block game against Bucknell, for example, against Cestina, <laughs> where he played 17 minutes and had five blocks. Um, and he was 108th in block percentage uh, in limited in the country in, in limited minutes, averaging 1.5 blocks a game. So uh, he's a very, very good offensive rebounder, which is where I definitely saw some of the Hayes stuff, just because he's pretty clearly a better offensive rebounder than a defensive rebounder. At this point, and that's okay. Um, it just, it that's just kind of what it is. Um, but you know, at six eleven, two twenty five, he's not somebody that's going to be stuck in the post. I don't think. I mean, I think you can coach 
defense and and sort of that ability to switch on to fours uh, with him a little bit. Uh, but I think that that's that's all a work in progress. But I wouldn't mind it. Um, and I also think because their coach is fired, there's a shot at a waiver there, just because of the way that they're giving out waivers now. Yeah. Uh, so so I think it's worth it, especially and if 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 Al Pinkins likes him and he's a Florida prep player, uh, you know I think that there's some value there. Well, I mean, you mentioned being maybe skewed by by reading the some stuff, but I mean, I, I I'll, I'll admit I'm skewed from the fact I just don't think that UNLV team was good at all. Um, I thought they were just such a sloppy basketball. For what team. it's worth, and, and they were, and for what it's worth, he is far and away their best player from an analytics perspective. Yeah, so so there's something to be said for that, and um, also shout out to uh, TJ Otzelberger who uh, got hired at UNLV. I actually really like him and. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm actually interested to see if he keeps. Like, there's a couple guys who entered the portal. Um, I think they'll like. Yeah, I mean, Dion could be a guy see. he tries to to get to stay, right? Well, yeah. like you said, he's. I'm sure he'll try. I mean, like you said, he's one of their best players. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I, I would say once again, I, I said this earlier, but I, I'm probably guilty of like when looking at transfers, like being a little bit of like an upside hunter, where I'm like, oh, like this player hasn't been as good, but like give him a redshirt year and he'll be amazing. I'm probably a little bit guilty of that versus a guy like Dion, who's more like, Hey, like this could be a really serviceable rotation big and is ne- probably never going to be a star. Um, but that's okay. So um, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's not like the like sexiest kind of guy to go after, I would say. Um, but yeah, if they get him, I think that'll be a, that'd be a great, uh, great kind of program piece. And like Neil said, actually, which I do think is important too, uh, Chancey gets a waiver right away. Cause he also missed some games for injury. And I mean, if he gets a waiver to, to play right away, that could be um I do think he might, um, you know, he would compete for the starting spot if that's kind of, if that, they don't get a, a bigger name graduate transfer that position and he's instantly eligible. So we have to talk about the possibility that they add yet another freshman to a top 10 class, which is now up to seventh um, <laughs> in America with the Jatobo ad. Um, Florida's still very much recruiting IMG Academy guard, Lester Quinones in particular. Um who backed off Will Wade and LSU like every other player in America and is kind of waiting on that situation to resolve itself. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's not going to go play for Tony Bankford. Um, <laughs> Memphis is really hot right now. Quinones had a wonderful visit there. Archie Miller is in love with him. Um, and he will, uh, if he hasn't been to Indiana already, he will be. And then he had a great visit to Maryland. Uh, Mark Turgeon has a, a kind of an exciting young team, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, he'd be a good get in, in College Park because it looks like guard is kind of where Maryland has to get a little better. Um, so the Gators are battling some big-time programs, in other words. Uh, <laughs> but but Trey Mann is close with, with Quinones, and the Gators have recruited him for two years. Uh, so, you know, I think the IMG staff – likes the Florida staff and there's a chance that Florida at least gets him on campus. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, again, there's a reason why he's getting recruited by all these programs. Cause I, I really think he's awesome. And uh, just a perfect player for modern basketball, a, a shooting guard or, or a guy you could probably play at the three just, um, but probably just like a really good long um, guard that could get you, uh, that can get buckets. And uh, he's a guy that I think that Florida could just really utilize for a little bit more size at those positions. And also, a little bit more just kind of electricity on the wing and, uh, and skill to get their own bucket. So he's a guy that I, I hope Florida keeps recruiting and, and see, sees what happens just until he you know signs somewhere. I, I hope Florida's in the mix uh, because he would be a major ad. 
Um, just again, and I, I do look at, at Florida's wins right now, and yeah, it's it's pretty thin right now. And uh, though maybe they they go the uh, the tra- the grad transfer route or transfer route to kind of address that, um, but if not, I mean, Quinones is is a guy that would be perfect. So um, it, just in terms of like fit of what this roster needs, it's honestly hard to imagine a guy kind of better than him uh, uh, coming. So I, I, I'm definitely intrigued by him. And uh, though, yeah, like like Neil said, it, it's going to be tough. I'm kind of competing with this kind of late recruitment with um, with a lot of the a lot of premier programs, but um, yeah, it'd be a, it'd be a guy that like oh man, like the the class would be special if they could land him. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're talking a top three class actually, as it oh, as yeah. it would as it would turn out, because um, I think it's already a special class that could just be be through the roof. Um, the other freshman that they're still recruiting, and and I would say that the reason I talked to Quinones first is because we mentioned Florida's recruited him for a long time. Like he's not, you know, Mike White and the Florida staff, Darius Nichols in particular are very familiar with that young man, as opposed to uh Preston Shachua, who, you know, I'm sure Florida's recruited like everybody else in America. Um, but that relationship might not be quite the same. Then again, uh, Kevin Boyle is a, is a big Mike White fan and has actively encouraged kids to, to look at Florida and, and think about going to Florida. And he's sent two players to Florida in the last, uh, what, 12 months. So <laughs> um, that's an interesting one, isn't it, Eric? Because the situation with Bill Self at Kansas is kind of murky. And, and I still think UNC leads here, actually. Uh, but, but it would be interesting if Florida could get in the mix. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a recruitment that I have not followed whatsoever just because I, I didn't really think Florida was going to be in the mix. Uh, but, I mean, I know who he is because, obviously, you look at the program he plays for, and uh, he's a guy that's kind of floated around that kind of, like, top 10-ish ranking. I mean, now I think he's down to top 20 or so or whatever. But, uh, yeah, just definitely um, a, a kind of front court piece that would be huge for the Gators. And there's kind of a reason. It just seems like every year there's – um, the guys at the top of the rankings are, are guys that are built like him, big men with just like elite kind of athleticism. And uh, there's always kind of a place for that. Uh, he's a guy that, yeah, if he somehow comes to, uh, comes to Florida, I, I think that, well, I mean, I think that that's one thing that Florida can kind of sell him on is like, Hey, there's a chance he can start on this team next to some, some really, really good players. And um, I'm not sure that's entirely the thing he's going to go for. I'm not sure that's the best direction Florida wants, but I mean, yeah, if you've got a chance to, uh, to get like another, Yeah, no. So I think those are really the only two. And I'll say this. I think those are probably the only two, you know, freshmen that Florida would consider adding just because of needs. Because I think when you sum up Florida's needs, you say there's three spots. They've got to add a wing. And they, they really need to add a four or five that can occupy minutes. So then you kind of have one spot where you can do what you want, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you uh, you even look at just the fact that, um, uh, I mean, there's like, depending on how you see Trey Mann, I definitely think you can play some points, but uh, but there's a chance he might get pushed to a lot more wing minutes just because of what Florida currently kind of is missing. But uh, but right now, I mean, yeah, you look at uh, you look at the like, if you if you call Keontae Johnson a four for the purposes of right now, just he <laughs> played a lot of four. Um, Florida doesn't really have a backup four. And then if you call, you know, Scotty Lewis at three, um, there's not really a backup three, though. Obviously, I think Keontae Johnson preferably would be playing the three. But, um, uh, yeah, like that's uh, they could definitely use some guys at that spot. So, um, yeah, that's why Justin Pierce is kind of really interesting. 
Um, that's, uh, and uh, I, I do think that uh, that would be the biggest area of need. And um, there's not a lot of freshmen that would really fill that uh, fill that void at time. Um, Quinones would be awesome, so that that's one to watch. But yeah, like like Neil said, I don't I don't think that they're looking to add like a three star guy just for the sake of, of they won't high school recruits in town. No, yeah, they won't. Um, there's a reason that's yeah, it's Precious Chua and uh, and, and Quinones. So um, and then one name I'll say just because it came up like a second before we started recording this podcast, so I have no idea Florida's interested. In, and this is the back to the graduate transfer option um, is Christian Keeling, who uh, oh yeah yeah at Charleston Southern who uh, Florida played against this year. And even though Florida hammered them, um, he had 18 points against Florida. Um, he also played against uh, Mar- – they played Marquette. He had 18 points, and they played Clemson, and he had 25 points. So he's a guy that I, I think is – you know, though he plays at Charleston Southern, he's a guy that um, uh, definitely can uh, – has kind of proven his ability to score. Uh, and uh, I, I was looking at his analytics, and he's just um, – yeah, just his ability to score in the pick and roll is, is really, really good, and that's something that Florida doesn't have currently. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you do look at the, the team this year, and uh, I, I know that Wayne would be – and, and the, four, the three and four spots are kind of more of a need. Uh, but, I mean, you also look at, uh, at the backcourt now and know you've got, like, a, a kind of nice nucleus of, of Nemhard and, and Locke and, and Mann. And it's not like Florida has, has a ton of bodies now at those spots. So um, having a kind of veteran scoring guard like Christian Keeling, who's uh, kind of built – I mean, he's 6'3 and, and, and thin – um, uh, so he, lo- he looks like a he looks like a point guard. He's definitely a scoring guard, not a great distributor. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think though um, though the three four spots are, are, are definitely more important. Um, having another kind of veteran in the backcourt would also be nice. So so Christian Keeling, I'll just be keeping an eye on um, whether I see a Florida contact him, just because uh, yeah, I, I'm personally a big fan of his game. Yeah, I like him. Um, so I wanted to shift to a listener question, but I did. I wanted to kind of address. The, this elephant in the room of is it over is is the transfer hemorrhage over um and i'm interested in eric's take on this and and yeah this is a long show but it, you know if 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 maybe the week had gone as planned it wouldn't be <laughs> um yes i think it's over I, I, and and again uh some some info for you guys the stokes family um i have i i've heard they've encouraged isaiah to stay in school at florida um that they feel like Isaiah made a lot of progress. His dad made some really public comments about how uh, he was proud of, of the way his son had committed to basketball, um, which were telling in lots of ways, actually. Um, and I think a, a summer with Preston Green will really do him, do him some good. And he's just got to get himself defensively, uh, you know, in his body in a way where Florida's not forced to, to be limited defensively with him on the floor. And, and, finish better but i i some some of i think that just will come with time um you know he, he needs to get the the turnover and finishing meter moved in the right direction i guess <laughs> uh and then um you know uh gorshak yak uh, is the other guy and and you know i think if anything that would be like a medical hardship situation which could open up another scholarship but uh, you know the word at least what i asked was that that they expect him to, to stay at Florida and uh, potentially contribute to the program next year. Yeah. I think that they're pretty invested in GAC right now. And uh, for that reason, um, I think they're willing to kind of see what happens. And um, from his personal standpoint, I mean, uh, I don't, you, you look at the way he's been injured for two years. I, if Florida is willing to have him, I don't think that there's, you know, maybe a better situation out there for him right now. 
Uh, yeah. Especially with Florida, it's just kind that's of like a big part of conditioning and um, that, you know, the health care he's going to get at Florida. Uh, I mean, if they, yeah, if Florida's willing to keep him, I think it'd be best, in his best interest to stay. Um, and yes, I, I'm glad to hear that, that, that obviously that, that Stokes wants to stay. I mean, I've obviously been uh, critical of him at times this year, um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely made some strides. So if he continues to make strides, uh, he'll be an interesting player. So I, I do think that this is uh, the end for the, uh, of, of guys leaving, but um, I, I'm probably going to, you know, be just watching just a little bit to see if there's a, there's some movement on the, on the gap end, but I, I don't think it happens. I do think we're, we're done and uh, can kind of just deal with the, uh, deal with the current open scholarships. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the three scholarships, like we said, one of them will be a big, um, we, we fully expect that to be the case. Uh, and a grad transfer big, they can play right away. Flexibility on the other two. And that's a good segue to, William Norris's um, listener question, which uh, is is lengthy but worth it, um, a tremendous question, one of the best we've ever had, given the timing of the transfers one day after exit interviews um, and after a after Chris Harry stated Stone, Akaru, and Ballard would have decisions to make. Has White learned how important roster management is to success, even if it means, quote, forcing a player out? In my opinion, this is a fair criticism of White, in that Florida is not able to go after someone like C.J. Walker because of scholarship limitations. They had guys who were injury-ridden or clearly not going to make the rotation blocking the extra scholarship. The way I see it, you need five-star talent that's clearly invested in your program. Obviously, not even Will Wade can guarantee a commitment, but we should have found a way to get it done. Um, And I'm going to throw it to Eric first, uh, you know, other than with the caveat that I don't think you need five-star talent clearly interested in your program like you can win with four-star talent uh and you can win by developing three-star talent but yes you have to get good players and four and five-star players are the blue chip players and those are the ones you want the most and i'll let uh eric kind of address the bulk of that i think great question yeah i mean when you've only got 13 scholarships in college basketball i can certainly see why why coach white has been kind of open about like yeah like i'm using my scholarships every year and kind of try to be developing talent and kind of in-house, but you also just, again, like, I do think that the CJ Walker situation hurts and I don't know if it's was simple enough that like if Florida had space, he was going to commit. I I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if we'll ever know that. Um, But if if that played any role whatsoever, um, that's got to hurt when you've got a bunch of guys, you know, sitting on the bench with injuries and then um, eventually transferring out. But, uh, and then just kind of one thing too, I, I mean, like Neil kind of mentioned before about Ocaro, about kind of taking a flyer on him. Um, that was probably a flyer. And Gorjak Yak was a bit of a flyer. And Isaiah Stokes, though, you know, him and Gak are probably staying in the program. Um, kind of intriguing, but it definitely a little bit of a flyer just because of his kind of physical makeup and everything. Um, DeAndre Ballard, just because uh, he's a guy that, um, once again, just kind of was kind of weird in his recruiting where some people kind of thought highly of him and some people were just not interested whatsoever. A little bit of a flyer. So um, I do think that this maybe will change the way that, that White looks at um, kind of taking these guys that are a little more high risk or, or see what happens just because um, having an open scholarship for, uh, um, for these kind of commitments or um, a mid-season transfer or – uh, yeah, just the kind of flexibility you have by not using all your all your pieces. Um, yeah, maybe he changes. Maybe he changes the way he does, and and doesn't just uh, uh, doesn't always fill up the scholarship amount. Um, I do think that there's a few too many guys this year that were 
um, kind of flyers that, that they kind of took flyers on. And um, that probably played a role in, in not landing CJ Walker. Yeah, look, I mean, the two, I call them the two empty classes, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to those kids. I think we've made that abundantly clear over and over again. Um, but the reality is <clears throat> there's two recruiting classes where the players that are left in the program are Dante Bassett uh, and Isaiah Stokes and Gorjak Gak, and only Dante Bassett contributed meaningful minutes to the basketball program this season with, with all due respect to the changes that Stokes made. So... You know, I know Eric enjoys it when I get really blunt. <laughs> well, and, just, uh, like, oh, could you imagine if, if when we when we enrolled that class with Chase Johnson and um, and, and Stokes and, and Ballard and and Okar, if you would have told me right like right after that that in this season um, the only player giving kind of regular minutes would be Bassett, I would have just thought you were crazy. So that's just I just laugh when you say that just because it's crazy. yeah. I mean, it's wild to think it's wild to think of that, especially because. It's important to remember that Ballard, Stokes, Okaru, and Johnson was a top 20 class. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> it was. Because Chase Johnson was a guy that everyone wanted. And DeAndre Ballard was a guy that some people wanted. And Isaiah Stokes was a guy that some people wanted, but people were worried about his knee. Um, and then Mike Okaru was a guy that they brought in because they panicked after the Shea, Gilgis Alexander thing. And remember, that was going to be a top 10 class for Florida and was forever when it had Shea Gelgis Alexander in it. So it's kind of funny that that, that uh, is how it worked out and also bad. And I think to answer Williams' question, I, it's like a two-parter, right? Like the first part is, yes, I think White has learned valuable lessons about roster management. And I think processing players that aren't helping and impacting winning is part of that. Um, and I think – if you look at the last two classes, uh, Florida is really careful with its evaluations. Jitabo is really the first guy where they've been like, okay, you know, here's what we think. But it's important to recognize that Jitabo had all these really high-level offers, right, and people backed off. Uh, so, you know, Al Pinkins, really good developer, Biggs thinks it's okay. So, yes, Florida understands that. With C.J. Walker specifically, I think that's a separate question. And to me, C.J. Walker goes to Oregon. They're the least likable Cinderella ever. Great article by uh, Dan O'Neill at The Athletic about that. Um, when they're embroiled in the FBI scandal, uh, the program is, in, is a scandal, scandal-ridden program. Um, Dana Altman is, is one of the bag men, you know, just known, reputed cheaters in college basketball. Uh, and the other programs that were recruiting CJ heavily are all programs that aren't exactly reputed to be on the up and up with all due respect, uh, including Will Wade's LSU. So was, was CJ Walker going to sign if Florida had a scholarship? I really not convinced that that's the case. So yeah. that would kind of be my answer. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you said, it's, I don't think it's being rude just because, um, at the time he released his final schools, literally every single one of them was also named in the FBI probe. So it's not even just, uh, you know, it's not even just you and me giving our opinion. It's just the fact of the matter is, um, it is actually funny because that FBI probe was just totally in the news at the same time CJ Walker was giving his final schools. And when he announced this list, uh, you know, I was just like, thought I had it confused for a Yahoo article where they were, um, <laughs> Where they were running down, summarizing all the schools that were caught in that FBI. Uh, who's just, who of yeah. cheaters. Right. And, and, and Florida. And, right. Yeah. So, 
um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I admit that, which that definitely makes me think like, yeah, I'm not sure he was ever coming to Florida. Um, so um, I, I'm, I'm definitely backtracking, but just, I want to say too, just because, um, you know, Dante Bassett was a player that, you know, I didn't see a lot of potential in early in his career. And the fact that he did give such good minutes this year, just looking at his 24 uh, seven page right now, um, just to kind of look again at what teams gave him offers. And, you know, it was Florida, it was Oregon state, Boise state, um, Murray <laughs> state, uh, St. Mary's Ooh. Wyoming. Um, yeah. Good. Can you imagine that's what, what college basketball needed was, was, uh, was John Morant and Dante Bassett, but I'm glad we have him. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, just like, uh, I mean, that was, um, that, I wouldn't call that one a flyer just because I mean, it was, that was the situation Mike White was in when he first came to Florida was he needed to take some of these three-star guys. And, and yeah, I do think it's really impressive that, um, yeah, that Dante Bassett has, um, just gotten better every single year. Um, proved me wrong for sure. So uh, I'm happy to admit I was wrong there. And I just, yeah, I think it's worth noting that um, the fact that he is kind of the one guy left standing, um, that he kind of played minutes over more recruited guys, even like Isaiah Stokes, is just really impressive for Bassett. So good for him. Yeah, look, uh, that, 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 I think that's a good point. And it's kind of a good place to stop is that, you know, if, if you're looking at Florida now and you've got Jitabo on board, you say there's three spots again. Uh, our expectation is that Florida, Florida really, I mean, they have to go and get a grad transfer big because I don't think they want to be in a position where Omar Payne starts um, or where they're forced to play Dante Bassett out of position as the starting center. Uh, so I think, I think that's kind of where the Gators are. Um, and I, you know, We've mentioned over and over again that modern basketball commands wings and the way Mike White wants to play commands wings. And so they'll probably go and try to get a wing. But the good news is that they have the flexibility in the roster space to do it. And, you know, as Eric said, they've got the pitch, right? You know, hey, <laughs> you come here, you get to play, and you also get to play with a really a freshman class that had a really special season and carried a team to the round of 32 despite erratic seniors save Kavarius Hayes. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, we have two McDonald's Amer- All-Americans that are coming in. Yeah, like, I mean, if you're, if you're pitching to, to Sestina, for example, for Bucknell, I mean, um, I mean, and like I said, we never actually got into the position we think he would play if he was at Florida. But, I mean, honestly, I think you could honestly pitch and you could start it either, just because, um, you know, I think that Scotty, Scotty Lewis is definitely a starting caliber player, and, and so is Keontae Johnson. Um, but I mean, if, if Florida gets a grad transfer five and a grad transfer four that both end up starting and they start Keontae Johnson at three and Scotty Lewis comes off the bench, I mean, you're still in, in great shape there. So, I mean, when, when pitching, um, a, a, you know, a, a good kind of quality four man and, and a starting caliber five man, um, yeah. yeah, you can say like, hey, like there's, there's starting, there's starting minutes available. So especially at the five spot at the four spot. I think you could even say like, Hey, there's a chance you start. And we have Keontae Johnson start at the three or, um, you, and have, you know, Scotty Lewis come off the bench. And, uh, yeah. And I, I do think that that's a, that's a pretty good pitch just relative to, um, let, you, you know, let's look at Kentucky right now. If you're Sestina, do you want to go there? And they still might add a 2019 recruit that they might try to play over top of you. So, um, Florida, right. And, and, Emmett Mo- and Emmett Montgomery is almost certainly going to have to come back to school. Right. I mean, yeah. So I, I would just say like, Hey, Florida's got a, got a great pitch and um, I think they're going to get some, uh, some good quality grad transfers. I cannot wait for it because I love grad transfers. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, that's, that's, uh, that's our show with the, the closing thought that, 
for those really, really panicked, just remember that Florida just beat a team in the NCAA tournament that's chock full of grad transfers. I mean, there are programs that add players this late all over the place. So, you know, it's it's probably a good thing. And, and you know, again, uh, the comparison between the production that left and what they could bring in, you know, it's just kind of all upside um, in a lot of ways, at least. It's mostly upside. Well, and again, like I said, if you look at kind of recent history in the final four, um, you see teams that have, you have, you see teams that have veteran players and then you have five-star NBA talent sprinkled in there. Right. So let's say a Florida adds two graduate transfers this year. Um, suddenly you're dealing with a team with good experience and NBA kind of five-star talent sprinkled in. And that is the profile of a final four team. So yeah. And White um, has had success with, with the when he's brought in grad transfers or Juco players, they've been impactful. Totally. So, so I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, not concerned at all. Quite frankly, I'm, I'm excited. So um, yeah, I, I'm happy with how, uh, how the week has unfolded and I, yeah, I'm going to be happy to see, uh, see you Florida Lions next. Thanks everybody for listening. We promise that we'll get back to roster <laughs> analysis next week.